everyone, and welcome to this episode, the human one, of the Women Talking About Learning podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Jacobs. I'm delighted to tell you that we are back. You might have noticed we have a new theme tune, new topics, new guests, but you won't know we have a new commitment to bring you smart women saying smart things, and that'll be every two weeks or so from now on. Coming back to publishing episodes, we wanted to make sure that we start with some great conversations. And this episode does set the bar very high. Our first guest is Ifat Iqbal. Ifat has worked as a learning and development professional for over 14 years in the energy, financial services and social housing sectors. Ifat currently works with Platform Housing Group as a learning and organisational development business partner. Our second guest is Dr Sarah Thompson. Sarah is an adjunct professor and faculty associate in the MS Military and Emergency Responder Psychology Programme at Colorado State University, and she is also a learning experience designer for Elucian. Our third guest is Rachel Smith. Rachel is Head of Learning and Insights with Entelogy. She's been in a learning-focused career, starting in teaching and leadership in education, and as a chief examiner. In her role, she champions the power that character-based learning can offer. This is an outstanding conversation which I was privileged to be able to listen to and I'm delighted to be able to bring to you. This is Women Talking About Learning. This is Ifat, Sara and Rachel talking about being human. Hi ladies, this is Ifat here. How are you Rachel? How are you Sarah? Hi Ifat, nice, uh, nice to be chatting with you. I'm, I'm good and you sir? How are you doing? Hi Rachel and Ifat, it's... Rachel, first time meeting you. I thought you and I have connected several times and it's a pleasure to to chat with both of you about the human one. Yes, I guess where where do we want to kind of start with this? Because it's quite a big one, really. Um, I mean, what does, I guess, what does being human mean to you? What does it mean to be human? You know, for for me, it's, it's bringing my authentic self, who I am, to the table. And that includes, and I, I, this connects to so many other topics, especially I've got to say to, to women, um, making mistakes and learning from that. I find oftentimes that when we make a mistake or we're late for, for an appointment or a meeting, the first thing out of our mouth is, I'm sorry. And I, I'm not sure that everyone also does the same thing, feeling that obligation to um, explain myself. Well, it's an interesting point, isn't it? Um, um, I mean, it's that sort of imposter syndrome that that I think plagues one side of the the gender divide more than the other. I don't think it's completely a a female um, experience, but it's certainly stronger in our gender. But it's to do with our fallibility. Um, but they as human beings and that's that's directly related to this idea of being human is to accept our fallibilities accept it's what makes us whole uh, accept it's what actually makes us appealing to others because if we were too perfect we would uh, horrify our colleagues and collaborators who would feel completely and utterly so it's it's a celebration of our fallibility that makes human beings so powerful do you think I love that. I mean, the fact that you've said it in such a positive way, actually being human means that we do need to celebrate the fact that we are fallible, that we're vulnerable as well at times. Um, 
and there's a great bit of resource around that. I know Brené Brown's books certainly talk about the importance of vulnerability and and and, and that kind of thing. Um, for me, I mean, it's interesting because when I thought about doing this podcast, I thought, well, actually, I work in learning and development and uh, an, an aspect kind of unique to humans. You know, if we think about humans versus animals is that humans have got the ability to transmit knowledge from one generation to the next and to continually build on on that information and develop those advances in the future. Now, I've thought I've been thinking about this recently, but what baffles me is rather than these advances making life easier, we seem to be ever more overwhelmed, more anxious, more busy. I know that's a massive generalization, but we do seem like we're always battling for time and for space um, and for reflection. Uh, So actually, if that aspect that's unique to humans, which is to to improve the way our future generations kind of conduct themselves, if advancement hasn't necessarily led to a happier or more positive life for for our generations, where have we gone wrong? Um, Do you not think it's... uh... Uh, a, a matter of mistaking cleverness and wiseness. So we we pursue, yeah. we pursue cleverness. We pursue doing everything in the in the most innovative, most exciting, most oh my goodness, I can't believe we're doing this way. When actually, about two thousand years ago, we had the whole learning business cracked with the mentor and the apprentice and the passing down of wisdom through intergenerational contact, and we seem to have lost touch with that which is what led us to flourishing as a as a species and led us to our purpose because we were guided by that intergenerational pass down of information and we've just got too clever and too smart and forgotten all of that well I didn't think of it like that but that's that's a pretty good take on it I think Rachel Sarah what do you think do you think that the we lead, many of us lead very busy lives and is going from one task to the next. And is there that pressure that's coming from society that's influencing that drive or that maybe it's not even a drive that, that expectation that we need to keep going and keep going and keep going and meet these deliverables. And while at the same time, not paying attention to our own mental health as humans we, it's our whole being. It's not just a physical component. There's the, the mental, emotional, um, spiritual, all the, 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 the necessities that we need to function with a purpose. I, I love that word purpose. And it's something that I keep considering in my own life. I'm 52. What is my purpose? And, you know, it, it's, it's such a, a, a human connection that that drives that but how are we getting lost in that picture of really living our our purposeful life as as human beings versus working 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 or taking care of being a caregiver something like that i think there's the japanese concept which i always call it wrong what's it called ikigai 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 that's it yeah I, I remember last week kind of thinking about this, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I chuckled only because um, Ifat and I met last week when we were just chatting and because I'm still, tr- I'm still trying to find that purpose, I need to find my purpose. 
And she mentioned um, the Ikigai, and it's something that is on my desk right now to really take a deep dive. So it's, with. it's so immense because it, um, it it forefronts that need for purpose and putting that front and center, and, and in some respects links our finding of that purpose to our sense of contentment and the acknowledgement that happiness is transitory, but contentment is probably the state we're all searching for. But it also links it to what we're good at. And it links it to giving back to the world. Um, and it means um, something that can make us a living. So when all of those intersect, arguably we found our our purpose. And I think that's just a wonderful way of looking at it. Because it's that sense of, for me and for the world, and for this sense that I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. Yeah, and it's interesting because in, in the actual book itself, it talks about how living with purpose, it actually enables people to live longer more contented lives and actually I did my own ikigai reflection quite a number of years ago where I actually thought about well what am I actually good at what what could I actually do with and and what do I really see kind of get joy from Where, where where am I really achieving flow in my work and you know well how could I combine all of this to to deliver something to the world that it needs um and at the time you know there was a lot of changes, kind of a lot of, um, I guess what you would call entertainment happening in the world, you know, Netflix and all, all these things were emerging at, at the time of my reflection. I was thinking, well, actually, are we spending a lot of time watching things that that don't really kind of teach us anything? They don't really um, enlighten us in any way. And actually, how could I put all of this knowledge together to, to do a job that I enjoy that I love doing but actually that I can get paid for and then I ended up in learning and development and um, yeah the rest is history so but yeah I I do feel like sorry to speak over you I just wondered if you could talk a little bit more about the flow you dropped that in uh, but it's actually a very important concept to what makes us human and what gives us purpose yes I mean I read the actual book flow uh, again last year um, and for me flow is when you are you know so engrossed in what you're doing that you're enjoying yourself so much that the hours just seem to pass and at the end of it you get such a sense of fulfillment um for what you've been doing and for me those activities are usually very personally they're usually the activities that i do alone so it's usually in solitude it's quite a reflective activity um and I and I when I am in flow, I find that my creative side is at its best. Um, so I ha- I did research this a little bit last year. How can I achieve more moments like that in my life where I'm achieving that kind of flow? Because that's when I produce my best and most creative work. Um, so yeah, the book was good in in giving you ideas, but it really is about balance. It's balance, and and it brings us back to this entire concept of being human. You know, there's certain aspects of us that we have to look after you know um you've got to look after your mental well-being you've got to look after your physical well-being um you know for some that spiritual well-being is really important as well and I, I and I, and I think that when you combine all of it together um and you've got a good foundation of well-being that's when you achieve things like flow and great work and you know certainly in the world of learning and development lots of return on that investment when you're planning the learning within your organizations um so yeah it's a really interesting concept i I don't know if you've come across that book 
Um, I know the first name is Mihali, but I can never pronounce the surname. So I'm going to let um, Andrew put that in, in the bio. Um, but again, it all boils back to, to contentment. Uh, it boils back to, uh, it kind of comes back to doing what you love to do. Um, so yeah, so yeah. What, what are your thoughts on flow, Rachel? Well, I was one, I was actually going to pass over to Sarah because I don't think she's talked a little bit about. You know, I jotted down a, two words as you were speaking. I thought um, balance and changes, and I wanted to start with with that balance, and that really start. It, it has to start from us. It has to start within, and in, in recognizing what that balance is, because it will be different between person to person. Is it a balance between work, leisure, family, um, spirituality, whatever it is that's unique to us, how can we take ownership of that to one, create changes in our, in our life that will seek that balance? For, for me, it's, it's, you know, I, I am passionate about higher education. Um, I'm in learning and development within the higher ed forum. And it's my happy space. Teaching is my, what, I'll use your word, brilliant. That's where I feel the happiest. It's it's where I thrive. Um, but then there's other tasks that have to be completed that might not necessarily be as exciting. But it, it's part of that whole balance. And I don't know if anyone else feels like there's a struggle or an imbalance in within your lives to create that for yourself. Because that will, if we don't have a balance, are we going to be open for change? You know, change is one of those things that uh, it's, it's distressing for a lot of people because we get into our comfort zone. But if we're, if we're not open to making changes, how do we reach that balance? I uh, fear that balance, the one of the great greatest barriers to balance comes from a sort of um, masculine westernized logical structure to the world that we live in that drives us towards outcome and not process so all the time we are um, celebrated for working the longest hours and for ex- running the the longest marathon or whatever everything is about more and being this sort of like really driven sense of competitiveness that stops us from feeling that we're allowed to change and allowed to make a a different choice Uh, and it takes a strong will to to push against that I think. Is that stemming from a societal pressure um, that there is again that expectation that we need to run the fastest mile, to swim the fastest 100 yards, to meet deliverables early. Is, is, it, is it a pressure that's coming from outside? Or do you think that as well as our innate um, drive that we need to excel? To, is it to prove something? I mean, me personally, I think it's a combination of the two. Naturally, I think in capitalist societies, you're going to see an element of competition and drive. And I think, you know, that's that's the world that we live in and have done for many years. Um, but to to kind of think about it from a certainly from a woman's point of view, you know, do we as women hold ourselves to higher expectations to achieve that kind of balance? Me personally, absolutely yes. I feel like you know when I'm balancing. 
my uh, role as a wife, uh, my role as a mother, my role uh, in the house. So doing my housework, you know, some days I just absolutely crazy. Like I'm putting a wash on literally before my first meeting. I conduct some meetings. I get a break. And I'm like, right, I better get the chicken out of the freezer so I can defrost that and cook that for lunch, um, cook that for dinner. And then lunchtime, right, because obviously I'm Muslim, I pray. So at lunchtime, I'm like squeezing my prayers in to absolutely trying to live. And I have such high expectations of myself. And it's and it, and actually, I didn't realise this until relatively recently um, when um, a young man contacted me. Uh, about some challenges that he's having and, and wanted a coaching conversation. And when I actually drilled into this conversation, it was pretty obvious to me because it was somebody else describing the way that they're living their day to day life, not taking breaks, not taking lunches, constantly wanting the next thing uh, that I started to identify what I would call um, high functioning anxiety. But it's weird because I never identified that in myself. I identified it when a coachee came to me with very similar kind of issues. So uh, so very recently, I've been on a, on a personal reflective journey on actually, am I suffering from high functioning anxiety? Am I expecting far too much of myself? Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to know whether as women, you know, you feel that you set yourselves to a higher standard than possibly other people in your life. I mean, I used to, well, I used to when I was teaching in a school. I mean, I moved out of the schooling system because it's a very toxic environment for your mental health and mental well-being. And I celebrate any teacher who still works within it because they've, they've got a lot of mental strength. But I was working faster, harder, etc. because I was within the management structure of the school. So therefore I had to be seen to compete with the men around me who uh, seemed much more able to turn up at seven and leave at nine. Uh, than I could ever seem to be capable of doing and fit all the, all the rest of it in, as you described. And I have actually made a conscious choice in my move into L&D to not, not push forward with the same experience and to promote a different way of going about things because I'm, I'm in it for the marathon and not the sprint. I, I, wanna, I want to enjoy this ride I'm on for longer, so that means I have to say no now and uh and be very strong in that no and I think that's what takes courage you're saying excuse me no I'm not responding to your email on a Saturday morning because I need this refresh time I love that analogy of you're in it for the marathon and not the sprint um and it really aligns with we've mentioned imposter syndrome in this and I, I spoke on that podcast as well and that began during my childhood where I just did not feel validated but that that drive again, I, I find like you mentioned, I've had the the high functioning anxiety. I'd say that I front and center that would be me, and that type A personality of all right, here's my deadline. I I have to get it in before for this, and then I can move on to the next task. And for me to sit down, it it was through a conversation with iPad last week. I, again, kind of she took on a coaching with me um relationship and for I sat down on the couch last night with a book just a, a book for leisure nothing in L&D just just leisure and forced myself to sit there and just read just just be in that moment and that's part of being that that human where 
I could have gotten up and put in another load of laundry or empty the dishwasher or clean my kitchen, anything like that. But at the end of the day, it's letting your, your, your mind, your body just kind of um, recharge it. And the same thing with, with having good sleep. I, I'm not, I don't sleep well. And it's that, that anxiety of thinking about, okay, what did I do today? What didn't I finish? What could I have finished that didn't get done? What is my day tomorrow going to look like? And that goes straight back to that, that mental health and, and being human and recognizing there, the, there's a few lessons that came out of the pandemic and it's, what do you put value in as a human? Do you continue giving, giving, giving until there's nothing left in, in you? In some respects, not to belittle the, the horror of what happened to people during the pandemic, but it is, uh, there, are, there are silver linings and blessings because it has forced us to stop and reflect and allowed for a paradigm shift in the way that we interact with each other. And I think we should celebrate that and not allow it to drift. I don't know if you agree. Yeah, I massively agree with that. But I do see, you know, a massive debate going on, uh, certainly on LinkedIn uh, at the moment around, well, now my managers want me back in the office and I'm not quite happy about that. And if they asked me to come back in the office, I would quit my job and go somewhere else. And 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 then there's, you know, there's there's almost two and, f- uh, two and against arguments uh, around this whole concept of hybrid working. Um but I think just going back to the to the high functioning anxiety, what that looks like to people, to other people, to how it actually feels are two very different things. And I think, um, you know, somebody with with this kind of anxiety, they manage daily life pretty well. And, you know, they seem put together. They're usually very well accomplished and fully functional and highly successful. And actually what might look like confidence or hard work or you know, detail orientation or organization or independence um, to others, uh, actually, is, is that's not how it feels for that person. And I think that that's where the imposter syndrome comes in. So I, I do think that the hybrid environment that we're working in now can almost hide some of this type of anxiety. Because you're not, if you're not dealing with people face to face, you're not really taking those pauses, you know, those moments at the water cooler, having a quick chat or you know, balancing the whole people technical skill that that we have. Um, um, So, yeah, so definitely I do think that I wish it would be a little bit more about human choice rather than what leaders want in an organisation or what a business wants and what they feel suits their business model. Um, So I do feel like we need more human-based decisions uh, and and, and give people choice more understanding of what you were talking about in terms of social high functioning anxiety within the workplace because it does create a dissonance between other people so uh, you present i present as being incredibly confident incredibly assertive people think i'm the a massive extrovert because it's learnt behavior to deal with the underlying anxiety that i feel but it means that people deal with me in quite a an abrupt way. Quite a they they think I can handle myself, and or and almost that like I need to be brought down a peg or two and knocked a little bit off my pedestal because I appear so together. When actually the truth is underneath, it's it's far from that. I need I need more nurture than I do 
anything else. So that's, I think, the great difficulty. And that's where dealing with the human within the workplace really has to kick in for me. Do you think as humans, we are more self-critical than we've ever been? I, for me, I would say yes. But I, I also think for, for me personally, that is something I've been highly critical of myself for almost my entire life. Like if I, I wanted to be first, I had a need to be first and um, I would, I would work as, as tirelessly to achieve that. And it wasn't to, because I wanted to oust anyone else. It was my, my need, whether, whether or not it fills a void in my, in my life, perhaps, um, it's taken me, you know, thinking of physical activity and exercise and running and all that. It's taken several physical ailments to say, okay, you just, you have to bring it down a notch. If you want to continue running, okay, you need to do it at a much slower pace. You're no longer 25 years old. And, and so it's a lot of self-talk to myself to recognize what I am as a 52-year-old human female. I think in some some regards, considering our audience is is probably colleagues and and people from the people profession, in some regards, it does remind me a little bit of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, because, I mean, in that theory, at the most basic level, what it means to be human is where those needs at the bottom of that triangle must be satisfied in order for individuals to kind of attend to the needs higher up. So our, our almost basic needs, are we forgetting those basic needs? Um, you know, yeah, of course, we've got food and warmth and shelter and water. But what about just taking a moment to be human, just pausing to reflect on things and, you know, going for a walk? You know, are we forgetting the most basic things? The word that you missed off those basic needs was security. And I think that's what the modern world has stripped from us. It's not that we're any more at threat, it just feels like we are. It just feels like we're under bombardment of threat at the moment. So we've we've had our sense of security um, taken from us, which is why we um, are all the time struggling to do better, to find that sense of... And I think it's a lo- loss of belonging, um, to be fair, a loss of connection, um, a loss of a believing that what, what we're doing now, which is communicating through technology, is connection when... Maybe it's not really. Maybe actually we are, especially, I mean, getting back to this idea of being women, I think women more than anyone are very much herd creatures and and we do need the company of others in order to feel that sense of security and belonging. I don't know if you agree, Sarah. Yeah, I do. And that in in thinking of that herd analogy, just having it as a trusting environment, at times women in a group can, can, cannot be, a, they might not be a nice group, um, you know, that backstabbing and all that. It's lifting one another up. I've seen that over and over again um, through LinkedIn, especially just empower other women. If they've done something that is rock star, whatever that is, let them know. It, it shouldn't take any value away from who we are as a, as a human female. To, to compliment another person or give them a way to go. That, that was awesome. Your presentation was, was incredible. Um, give, give that feedback because it's not going to, it doesn't take away from who we are as a person. It doesn't make you any less of a professional. 
to give kudos to another person. Makes you more of a professional, giving kudos. One of my... F- I agree. I mean, I recently... Uh, I don't normally take part in LinkedIn polls, but this one appealed to me. It was about what should want women do for other women. And, um, and one of them was said, stop being competitive. Lift the other person up. Stop competing with the other person. And, and, I, and I actually think that was the best answer I've ever heard to what can one woman do for another woman in a very human sense and and going back to what ifit was talking about like the hybrid model like i work remotely exclusively and i have for almost 12 years now um and it's it's an environment i thrive in but it also can be an environment where work it takes over your life Mm -hmm. and um but establishing those those human connections like the conversation that we've had several conversations between ifat and i because we just connected what maybe two years ago and just just to get to know one another you know who are you outside of learning and development and we're we're i think we're missing that that key component and it you know it goes back to that office space if we were back in a traditional office in the organization there is, you stop at the, the water cooler or you're on your way to go get a cup of coffee and you, you stop, well, how was your weekend? Or, you know, how did your daughter do at her gymnastics? Things like that. But when I get into a meeting, it is functional. It is, let's just get through this and let me get back to what I need to do. I mean, I feel very blessed because I work in an organization full of coaches and mentors and my direct line manager is a, a female COO who's an, um, a coach. Um, so I could, I've gone from probably one of the most toxic environments in terms of a school into probably the one, one of the most nurturing environments in terms of lifting me up and allowing me to grow as a human being beyond my role and within my role. Um, and, and it's day and night, the difference between the two environments. And it's all about... Uh, taking a moment to say you've got a minute just tell me about you and that's what we do on our monday morning meetings we all have a minute to just say what's what's going on in our world this week and that that sort of um acknowledgement of me as a human being is immense and i spend sunday evening going what am i going to share about me this week <laughs> to let the team know about so just see what i mean and it's just really, it's a really unique environment and and like i say it's it i've never been more content more I've never really understood before now how much learning is my purpose I knew I knew it was it drove me as a teacher I knew that was what was important to me but I needed the positive environment within which I work to allow that purpose to flourish and not and not drain me of energy it's really interesting because we've started to do that at platform as well where actually we're trying to make team meetings a little bit more agile so previously where you'd booking an hours meeting we're now reducing those where possible um and you know when you have that back-to-back meeting we try to avoid that by you know giving 15 minutes or 10 minutes each way um and one of the other things that i've been doing one of my key kind of projects this year is to embed something called bring your best um so it's a program where you use tools like red black continuum or positive first or circles of control and influence and using templates to provide feedback um now as i'm going on this journey to try and embed this mindset in in the organization um i keep coming back to the point that actually i can't expect everybody every single member 
at platform housing to be 100% at their best all of the time because you know we are human we're fallible we make mistakes life happens things go wrong um and sometimes it's just not possible to be at your best so you know it's about recognizing your triggers and, and ways to overcome them before we face our internal and external customers and just aptly, my six-year-old has just turned up to remind me that I am also her mum. So that's quite apt for this podcast, really. I'm going to go on mute now. <laughs> you go and support your six-year-old. That, that, was, that was a perfect towards the end of our, of our chat. Um, because we, again, we are human and we will make mistakes. Being accountable for those mistakes is, is all part of that, that human role that we have. But taking that time to self-reflect is so powerful um, and, and definitely something that I need to do better at. Um, if you were to leave our audience with some type of intentional act or something to think about, what would that be? I mean, I would focus on what you just spoke about in terms of failure. Um, for me, it is what makes us brilliant as human beings, not what makes us bad as human beings. And I think that needs to switch 180 percent, 180 degrees. Sorry, uh, my failures are the points where I've learnt my most. It's where I've developed and grown most as a human being, and I see it as a gift uh, as opposed to a something that has harmed me. I've tried, I've took a risk, I've shown courage, it hasn't paid off. What have I learned? I've still won. Do you see what I mean? And if we can, I love. well, if we can, that is what makes humans learn. A, a dog makes a mistake and it limps away and feels sorry for itself and then forgets it ever happened. The reason humans have flourished is because we do make mistakes. And we have the capacity to grow and learn from those. That would be what I would take away, ask people to take away. Just embrace the failure. It's amazing. That's really good advice, Rachel, I have to say. Um, what about you, Sarah? What would you say to that? Well, my my thought right now is when this podcast goes live, I'm going to go in. I'm going to I'm going to not only listen to our podcast again, not because I want to hear myself, but I want to hear you two remarkable women. I want to capture those quotes again because they, they just speak volumes to me of going back to that purpose. And, and why are we here? Why are we here? Yeah, I mean, I, I attended the CIPD conference uh, last year and it was highlighted through some research that the people profession take care of everybody else but themselves um, so for me, um, I, I would want us to think about self-care in our own profession. And um, I'm going to leave uh, the, the listeners with three top tips, um, which I get from my my friend and colleague, Chloe, who she does everything in three. So um, my, my first top tip would be you come first, take care of yourself, take time to slow down, reflect, journal, go take a walk, do what it takes to put yourself first. And that includes your mental well-being as well as your physical. Uh, and remember that oxygen mask analogy as well. Um, and my second top tip would be be present. So when you're talking to other people, be human, be present in that conversation, listen and understand absolutely attentively 
um, try not to be distracted by your devices or by other people because actually when we slow down and we really listen we discover the real issues that are impacting other people and it takes a human to get another human and my third kind of top tip would be to call it out so when we see people behaving in a way that is detrimental to other people we need to speak out and, and call out those bad behaviors especially in leaders so you know Rachel mentioned toxic working environments and you know flourishing and nurturing working environments well actually when you see a manager micromanaging their person and you're you're kind of thinking oh that's going to take a real toll on that person's mental health say something we need to vocalize the importance of taking breaks um and and not working through lunch breaks and really taking care of each other so three top tips you come first be present call it out um that's that's really it from me anything to add ladies I think you've just solved everyone's human problems. Well, Rachel, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be sure to connect with you. I, I mean, as you know, from, from our conversation, me and Sarah have known each other a few years, but it's been great talking to you today, Rachel, and, and you again, as always, Sarah. Uh, so I'd love to connect, uh, connect further. Yeah, me too. It's been great to meet you both. Thank you ever so much for your insights and your wisdom. It's been a, a joy to share space with you. So, so thank you. Yours as well. And, and know, Rachel, that your quotes are going to be written. I have a, a desk that I can write on, so I will keep those handy. And those three three tips um, I've had, I will take in and, and I'm going to use. I did say we'd be back with a bang, and that was amazing. Some episodes stand out and to come back to recording and to have that as an episode is a brilliant way for us to restart the podcast so I've got nothing but absolute thanks to IFAT, Sarah and Rachel for an absolutely splendid conversation and to allow us to eavesdrop on that conversation. You'll find all their contact details within the show notes as well as links to and interesting information that might be helpful for you we do have a number of episodes coming up but we are as always looking for guests so please do get in touch if you would like to be a uh, participant with us please do like and subscribe on your podcast player it makes an enormous difference to us and makes the podcast more visible we've got another episode in a fortnight's time that's the empathy one And you're going to love that one as much as you love this one. Trust me. We will see you in a couple of weeks. As always, thank you for listening. And we'll see you soon.